Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to a different kind of walk. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Hello. Why are you bothering me? Because you're supposed to be recording with us. Are you planning on doing that? Oh, yes. I totally fell asleep. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) We went out to lunch and yeah, I just succumbed, but I'll get right on my computer right now. Oh, okay. Cool. Thank you. Sorry. Bye. No. no. (laughs) Bye. Yay. Hey, dying man, you can't sleep. We've got recordings to do. Got show business, dude. (laughs) So are you guys ready to talk about hope? Hope. I thought I was, but I'm going to let you guys start (laughs) because now I'm not sure. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I know the easy answer. We're not talking about the easy answer here, right? Well, that's a good question. I was going to say, I feel like we should actually define hope because it's um, and like what we're talking about or what we want to talk well, about. Let's like, go ahead and start it. And then because there's different kinds of hope. Because initially yeah. I was thinking hope in the next generation. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, you guys will have to convince me. Oh, okay. Oh, whether we whether we are worth having hope in or not? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome back to a different kind of walk. Um, Scotty and Jeff and I are here, and we are going to talk about hope today, which I'm pretty excited about. But in order to get started on that, I feel like we should actually define or put some parameters on what we mean by hope. And immediately I thought of, well, the opposite of hope is despair. And for me, it's a lot easier to find the things that give me despair. Um, So like there are things in this world that give me despair, like the state of our global environment with pollution and the extinction of animal species. And there are things in our country that give me despair, things like racism and the oppression of minorities in general. And then there's there are things like in the church that give me despair, like broken relationships between different people who would identify, who would all identify as people of faith. Like all of these things make me feel despair because I can't fix it. These issues are so big that I don't even know how to help. And half the time, I'm not so sure that I'm not even making it worse. Hope in this context that we're talking about is the belief that it will all turn out all right in the end. Like whether that's the end of the world or the end of this particular issue or even the end of today. Like hope, as Julian of Norwich wrote, like, is that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. That was actually kind of helpful to me. I mean, because my brain wouldn't work that way. I was thinking initially when I posed this question to the two of you, I thought about the hope that I have for now. Don't get mad at me. (laughs) I'm not sure I exactly mean your generation because there's a line in there somewhere. 
but the generation after you. My heart breaks at the lack of desire for spiritual development. I hear spirituality. I hear it's my choice and my individual choice to come up with what I think, but I don't hear a lot about how to develop my individual choice and what I want to think. So um, help me out here or make me feel worse. What do you think of what I just said there? The people that I've encountered who are younger than me do tend to, like they are seeking things out, even if it's not not the not quite the system that older generations right have used i think they they do continue to seek stuff out and sometimes younger people do jump into regimented disciplined systems um but yeah scotty <laughs> yeah i mean you're closer to it so that's what i was well i i'm almost 30 um uh I think the line that I was reading was 26, 27 is kind of the next generation. So you and Susan are still together, but you're on the younger side of that. So I, I just wanted to find, because the, the question of you, as you post it is a little broad and, and, and maybe a little unfair if left unchecked. Are you saying that you don't, you don't know if you have hope for folks younger than myself seeking out spiritual or or internal development yeah i guess i can answer that by going to um susan and going to despair more than hope hmm. and answer my thought that way that oh gosh you know just hearing the number of stories of people in your generation and kind of the age in between your generation and and my age at 63 leaving the church saying they love Jesus but they can't stand the church yeah and so the body of Christ has always been about and when I say the word story here I don't mean made up story but sharing the stories of faith from one generation to the next generation. So if you have so many people leaving the church, mm -hmm. who is it that's going to be telling this generation the stories of faith? Mm -hmm. If that helps. Yeah. Well, I I think what you're talking about there then is like, it is, I think, something that certainly I I struggle with, and um, I think a lot of folks younger than me struggle with is like the idea of of continuity of of learning from who came before you, and of not creating whatever you are from scratch, but from from leaning on others. I can't speak for a generation, but I can speak for myself. I know that for me, um, one thing that has definitely helped sort of my apathy 
on journeys for meaning, which might also be sort of a, another antonym for hope. Not despair, but just feh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I find hope for the continued meaning of my own life when I'm able to read from folks who I find were thinking a lot of the same thoughts that I'm thinking or struggling with now, a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or, or longer. I think that the way our communities are set up are a lot more globalized and therefore a lot more uh, potentially scattered in terms of that continuity. For instance, I what I mean by that is I have a lot more ways to learn about what came before me. I'm not pointing at my dad and my dad's dad and my dad's dad's dad as my exclusive or even primary wells of meaning. And that I think is like a phrase I hear a lot in folks who are my age and younger than me is the idea of found family. Uh, just the idea of gathering in community folks who are trying to find meaning in at least ways that are similar enough to to what you're trying to do that you can converse about it. I think that has its its pros and cons. I think that like there's a lot that can be that can be lost, but I don't think it's I don't think it's stagnant. A lot of the thoughts that I that I hear from young folks as they're like making their way through the world and trying to figure out what it is to be human, it does give me hope. I think the the problem is when I when I try to expand it out and just be like, do I have hope in this generation? It's like, well, what do I what am I hoping for them? Do I hope that they'll live the same life that I did? Um, no, I don't have a lot of hope for that. And I don't actually know if I want that for them. Mm. Uh, But do I have hope in them in general? Yeah, there's like things that they just get that took me years to even gain the language for. So I don't know, working working with high schoolers has been... A lot of things, but it has also it has also been encouraging in that way. Yeah, that's good to hear. And you're in a public school, aren't you, Scotty? A uh, private school. Is it Christian? No, no. Okay. So the the students I teach uh, usually have uh, dyslexia, ADHD, or both, and or other okay. executive functioning. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Okay. Just kind of hearing them. Do you get hints of spiritual conversations coming up at all? What do you mean by spiritual conversations? Um, Anything about what is beyond what brings depth to my soul, brings peace to my soul. Um. Let me let me tell you let me tell you this one story. I think you'll find it amusing. I um I was talking with Susan earlier about how students seem to find uh, the details of teachers' lives either to be the most interesting or the least interesting thing in the world. One of the students just started 
asking like personal questions about my life. And they're like, we don't know you, whatever. And they were just trying to waste class time. And so I said, all right, guys, if we focus on our work today, if we get a good amount of work done, last five minutes of class, it'll just be miser lore. I'll let you ask me whatever questions you want. I'll answer it to the best of my abilities. And so some of it was like, where'd you grow up? What's your childhood? Where'd you go to school? And then this one kid says, do you think that life is meaningless and we're all just kind of sitting around here waiting for death? Wow. Yeah. And I'm like 80% sure he said it because he thought his classmates would find it funny if he said that. But I pretended not to know that joke. And I just said, well, uh, no, I don't think it's meaningless. I said, I don't know all of what the meaning might be, but I think it has a lot to do with how we treat one another while we're here. And they said, hmm, where'd you go to high school? And I, <laughs> and I said, um, I went to a small, uh, a small Christian school. And they're like, where, what is it? And I said, I, I, I don't want you looking up school pictures. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. <laughs> and at that point, they're like, well, now we have to know. And that began talk about a, it wasn't a journey of meaning, but it was a quest for something. They started digging up every detail of my life that has ever been on the internet. Um, I got five follow requests on my Instagram, which I immediately deleted. (laughs) Uh, They found out where I went to college. Deleted the requests or deleted Instagram? No, I I deleted their requests. Oh, okay. Uh, they searched my name every which way, found out which university I went to, tried to get a picture of my license plate so that they could track my home address. Um, oh, they, my gosh. Yeah. Went crazy for it. And, and like, I, I said, like, don't tell me ever again that you don't have time for homework because this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and... To get meta about it, Jeff, one of my students listened to an entire episode of this very podcast because my name was in it. Wow. The podcast uh, with <laughs> with uh, with Sarah and myself talking about hiking and birds and flesh. Oh, planet. wow. Yeah. He listened to the whole thing. He might be listening to this right now. Um. <laughs> So anyway, that was just a that was just a question that like came up and I felt was like was asked as a joke. But behind the joke, there was genuine curiosity. Right. If not for the answer, at least like, well, what does this guy think? I see this adult. I see this person who seems to have some kind of reason to get out of bed in the morning by virtue of their being here. I wonder what that reason is. Right. Where that leads, I don't know. Um, but right. I know that I know that the inquiry is is real. Right. Yeah.
Jeff, quite a few minutes ago, you mentioned so many young people are leaving the church and as such, who is going to be there to tell the generation after them the stories, the stories of faith? How is the younger, younger generation going to learn those things? And so young, younger people might be leaving the church building but the church building isn't necessarily the only place where God's spirit can be found. Right. And I think people are looking in other places. You know, the whole nature of trauma is that it's not a reaction to the present, but to the past. And so if I've been extremely hurt by a church, which is part of a large and, and, hurtful culture, maybe the dominant culture in where I'm from. And I'm told, but this one's different. The safe, the safer option is like, well, it's like, okay, maybe that church is better, but it's not worth the risk of me getting hurt again as badly as I was. I'm going to have to try and find meaning elsewhere, which, you know, as a guy who's pretty pro church involvement um like yeah that does that does sadden me but i also think that god's god's got to be larger than that mm. um once uh jeff i had this really interesting conversation i i had uh read a, a couple of my poems um to a to a crowd and I wrote this one haiku, you know, the three lines of five, seven, and five syllables. And it was just called a haiku on dark matter. Uh, Jeff, how familiar are you with the concept of dark matter? Is it, is it something like prehistory? Uh, no, it's more of a, it's more of a, a space thing. Okay. So the idea is that basically... Um, galaxies move about in ways that our current models for gravity does not account for. And so in order to try and explain this movement, we've just sort of created a concept called dark matter. It's like, well, maybe there's just something responsible for this. But if it was big enough to do that, it would have to also meet these criteria. And so there are whole like schools of dark matter research and dark matter scientists, its existence has not been proven. If the material is real, it like outweighs the weight of the material universe by a huge number. So all that is the context for this haiku. If dark matter is real, it outweighs everything, but it might not be. <laughs> and months later, I was talking with this young person I knew who, like, she had also grown up in the church, like, wasn't involved in any church at the time, but was, like, pretty open to talking about any and everything. And we were just having nachos together. And she says, you know, Scotty, I think about your haiku on dark matter sometimes. And I think, huh, that's a that's a pretty neat thing, Scotty said. 
It's like, oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And then there's just then there's just this silence. And I said, and if I'm honest, I mean, that's kind of that poem is kind of how I think about God. And she shouts, me too. <laughs> <laughs> she got like so excited, you know. I don't know. That was just another example that that I was really like happy to see that journey for meaning and even like a journey that falls within more classical definitions of of God and the divine. Right. That happened over nachos discussing a space haiku. Mm-hmm. Um, Taco Bell nachos. No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> that would kill your stomach. That would, if you want to talk about despair. There you go. Uh, So, all right, you're giving me some more hope. (laughs) I'm not not living in as much despair as as I was earlier. (laughs) Yeah, that reminds me of what tends to give me hope. Like I mentioned the things that give me despair. Um, But what tends to give me hope is and I give God the credit for this, but it is people, and specifically when it comes to you know I mentioned like the environment and stuff like that. Our world, our environment needs help. However, like human beings are incredibly creative. Like we are made in the image of God. We have this ability to create and be incredibly imaginative with solutions and so it gives me hope that yeah we have a lot of work to do to help our earth but we have a real a lot of really smart creative people and some of them are already working on it and like even more are going to get involved and so i don't know i just i see the creativity of god in that and and then i i mentioned like racism and oppression and partisanism like I have conversations with my son all the time we just had a really cool conversation just him and me the other day and he's only nine and when I talk to him about things that happen in this world bad things that happen in this world or broken relationships or things on the news whatever I talk to him and I don't know it just it gives me hope that the younger generation like they're not stupid they're not amoral and they're not, they're not a waste of time. They are God's glory. Like <laughs> they are beautiful and creative and amazing. Um, so I have hope for even those topics because of the next generation. Right. Yeah. I, I certainly see that as I saw when I went to, after the Parkland shooting, I went to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. because I wanted to hear what these young people were going to be saying. And I was surprised uh, that, you know, this was, gosh, just weeks after the shooting. I thought I was only going to hear one point of view for hope, and that was going to be get rid of all guns. And that is not what these kids were speaking about. I mean, some of them were gun owners and talking about responsibility 
uh, responsible gun, gun ownership, and some of them were anti-all guns and spoke about that, but they had a unified spirit, uh, a unified passion, and a unified mission as they came through. So that gave me a, a huge sense of hope, and I even brought that back to the church the next week and reported, hey, guess what I did yesterday? I went to the march uh, which was wonderful. I was so proud of each and every one of those kids that stood up and spoke at that. Mm-hmm. I think somebody needs to start working on baby food. Susan, did you feed your kids rice cereal when they hit six months? Mm-hmm. So because I'm on baby food and applesauce and liquid as my diet now, you know, all this plastic stuff, I I don't use shampoo bottles anymore. I use a bar. I don't use shaving cans anymore. I use the brush and 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 you know, I'm I'm trying to be good to the environment. And now all this baby food is coming out in squeezy packs mm. with three kinds of plastic to them. So there's mm-hmm. there's no way they're gonna recycle that. Uh, which frustrates me, but um, anyway, I guess I'll just cut the chase now, and you guys can uh, react to this, I guess, but I am a person of hope. What I believe is happening right now is all the systems that were created over the past five, six hundred years are being torn down. And some people could just want to stop there and say that's sad. I think they're being torn down and destroyed so that God can build something new and better. Mm -hmm. Um, God is going to bring something new and healthier than what we have now. So it's not, we're not in, in charge of that. God's in charge of that. And that's what gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a deep, positive hope, not just a specific generational hope. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I really appreciate that. Like, I'm not worried about, you know, I think I think the church as it is, the system that it is, is going to die. Um, and I think it should, and that's, that's okay. It doesn't, that doesn't worry me because God is bigger than that. And I think you're totally right. Like God's going to do something creative and wondrous and beautiful in both in the midst of that and out of the ruin. Um, it's, it's going to be. Which will still be the ecclesia to me. It will still be the church, but it won't be. Yeah. Right. Churches. Most people say it and think about that word. Yeah, it will still be the body of Christ. It's just not going to be organized in the way that we know it right now. And that's really cool. Right. And is the life going to spring from a place that we in the Western world will be shocked by? Yeah, probably. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Jeff, thank you for sharing those thoughts in particular. Um I think one major thing that gives me hope is the hope of others. And I don't think that's a new idea, but it's, it's just like, it makes sense. Hope begets hope. 
And um, especially when it comes from from people who just have lived different lives than I, you know, like I'm really encouraged by that. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Stories are being passed from one generation to another still. Turns out. Yeah. Can I can I read you guys a poem? Is it a haiku on it's dark? It's not. No, this isn't by me. This is by a much better poet, Emily Dickinson. She wrote uh, the poem titled Hope is the Thing with Feathers. And it goes like this. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity. It asked a crumb of me. Beautiful. Every morning I read this, just one entry from Richard Rohr, and he just quoted a line from that poem. Mm. Um, probably about a week, week and a half ago. So I was smiling the whole time that you were <laughs> that you were reading that. So uh, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I just watched a TV show called The Chair, which I absolutely loved. It's about a woman who becomes the chair of the Eng- English department at an Ivy League school. And she also reads that poem in class um, oh wow boom <laughs> yeah you have to have some nice music going behind scotty as you put that poem up. <laughs> hey listeners Well, I obviously didn't have pretty music behind it when Scotty read the poem, so I'm going to play for you the scene that I referenced from The Chair so you can hear the poem again. This is Sandra O's character reading the poem and interacting with her class in the midst of a montage of other concluding scenes in the show. You can find the show on Netflix. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. So what do you, what do you think she means when she says hope never asked a crumb of her? It's, it's a weird locution, right? And why is hope the thing with feathers? It's airborne, like a bird. Good. Why does she describe the song as a tune without the words? Maybe because hope looks different for different people. And no, we cannot begin. Love does not begin and end the way we see. 
it can't have specific words, just a melody. Or maybe even just a beat, a sign of life. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well.